welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. It seems that season three is the season to deepen our mythic imagination. And since the tagline of Basecamp for Men is Men, Myth, and the Hero's Journey, this seems like an appropriate direction for us. Among Gnostics, May is also the month of the divine goddess, so what better month to pay homage to her than this one? And I'll start off with a quote by the author Jacques Lacarriere, who says, quote, Myths can be spontaneously generated in response to spiritual and cultural needs, drawing on whatever material is available. In current time, there seems to be evidence of a fascinating, spontaneous flowering of a Gnostic viewpoint, unquote. I completely agree with him. And throughout history, there were always groups that held secrets to our heritage and our potential. These groups were not confined to one region or one philosophy or one way of thinking. Yet when you compare their essential truths and expressions, there is a tremendous amount of agreement as to who we are as a species and how we got here. These groups had many myths and tales for future generations. Yet the central myth, told in secret over and over again so it would not be forgotten, was the myth of the fallen goddess Sophia. It was the story of the descent of the soul into the material realm. It is, in every sense, our story. I will do my best to represent this myth in this episode, but please allow me just a bit of clumsiness. I've been working with it for just a few short years, and one finds that the more you work with a myth, the more fluent and powerful your speaking becomes when it comes to expressing the central themes and motifs of that particular myth. I was first exposed to this myth a number of years ago. I came across it in my interest in Gnosticism and soon found that the fallen goddess myth was central to the Gnostics. After all of my men's work, I had finally arrived at the footsteps of the goddess herself, and I was spellbound. As I began my study and courtship of Sophia, as fate would have it, she seemed to take an instant liking to me. What I mean by this is she was approaching me in dreams and visions and making herself known in all sorts of ways throughout the day. I found myself typing Gnosticism and Goddess Sophia into YouTube and following the rabbit hole. The myth and the goddess was starting to talk to me. It seems, perhaps, that I have been here before. The Gnostics have a central creation myth that I need to sketch out for you. And if this myth is interesting, I highly recommend checking out the resources I will recommend at the end of this episode. Here's the bare bones of the central Gnostic creation myth told in simple language. The Gnostic creation myth. In the central region of our galaxy is something called the Great Central Sun. Like our sun in our solar system, the Great Central Sun serves as the hub of the divine. Near the Great Central Sun is an area the Gnostics called the Pleroma. This is where the higher gods and goddesses play and make love, creating galaxies and worlds. According to the Gnostics, it is divine law that each god is paired with a goddess. This is how creation works. Much like a man and a woman can create new life here, as below, so above. So in the Pleroma, a male and female deity can create on a much larger scale. In the myth of the fallen goddess, the youngest of the aeons was a female goddess named Sophia, the wisdom goddess. And by design, Sophia would have Christos or Christ as her consort. At least that was the divine plan. However, Sophia was about to experience something quite unusual, according to the myth. She had a vision of creation without another aeon, in other words, without her male counterpart. This would be in defiance of divine law or natural law. She dreamt that she would create a race that would have her divine spark and would act as her male consort. In other words, she would pair with us. 
So the goddess was a bit of a rule breaker, a rebel even, if I could be so bold. And remember, in the myth, this is the world's soul. The secret Sanskrit name for Sophia is Vajra Velasi, which translates to flirtatious thunderbolt, which seems fitting, doesn't it? In the myth, Sophia dreams of her fall, and being a young, powerful goddess, she actualizes what she envisions. So, Sophia falls and falls out of the celestial pleroma and through dimensions, finally arriving here in the lowly material realm. Confused, scared, and clearly out of her heavenly abode, Sophia wept. Over time, she acclimated to the new dimension, becoming the very earth we live on, Gaia, as the Greeks knew her as, a living, breathing, fallen goddess whom the Gnostics adored. That is why we often will look at nature with such rapture and love and awe. It is she reflected in the external beauty of our beloved Gaia, which is another name for Sophia. We are her consorts, her lovers, such is the great Gnostic myth. Now, in the myth, Sophia cried to the heavens for help, and her despair was heard and felt throughout the Pleroma. The situation, it seems, was highly unusual. Through an error, a goddess had fallen. What should be done? It was decided that help would be sent in the form of her male consort, Christos, or Christ. This deity was sent to help in Sophia's correction, but he could not bring her directly back. There were divine laws that must be followed. Since the young goddess dreamt of a species, the Anthropos, as we are referred to, that would have her divine spark, they would be the key to her redemption and return to the higher dimensions from which she originated. The stairway to heaven would be built in partnership with this chosen race, humanity. The soul would return to the divine light, but would need to be ushered back with a great awakening. This cosmic unfoldment would be learned by more and more humans through ancient knowledge that would be learned from adepts, Gnostics, and seers. You see, our story and Sophia's story are deeply intertwined. Our redemption and her redemption go hand in hand. The fallen goddess and our feminine soul are one and the same. So we forge on. As Gnostics have said, the soul of the world is feminine. It's the lunar principle or lunar consciousness. And the celestial spirit is masculine, the solar principle. As a microcosm of the cosmos, we embody and play out these mythic themes. In the Gnostic myth, a divine goddess has fallen, and her assigned consort, Christos, descends to help rescue her. Now, the soul longs to return to the light, to her home. Just as Sophia experienced, so we experience great longing for a return to the light, to the higher dimensions that is our true abode. This is the way of the soul. We are, at our core, part of the divine marriage of masculine and feminine, each person his or her own expression of this great cosmic dance and homecoming. We are all in the process of bringing the feminine soul back to its rightful place in an elevated heavenly abode, a higher frequency of love and light, of forgiveness and understanding. Through an inner alchemy that we are all learning, we transform lead to gold or lower frequencies of fear, confusion, hatred, separation into the higher frequencies of love, light, compassion, connection, reverence, gratitude, and unbelievable joy. In so many ways, we are the alchemist's lab and the alchemist doing the experiment. Right now, as we speak, the veil is thinning. The great awakening is upon us. Consciousness is expanding in an upward direction. The soul is being elevated and we are remembering. Sophia has readied herself and us. Her return to the Pleroma has been prophesied. 
Here is John Lamb Lash, the great modern Gnostic bard, explaining it in clear fashion. He says, quote, In one sense, Sophia, Gaia, is the savior of humanity because she endows the human species with a special power, Epinoia. Epinoia is divine imagination. The goddess dreamed humanity out of the cosmic plentitude, the pleroma, and plunged from the cosmic center, turning herself into the very world where we could become what she imagines. Owing to her presence in the world, divinity can blossom in human spores, the pollen of the flowering godhead. The optimal human future is dreaming Sophia, unquote. Now, the reason that this myth is so important now is that we happen to be at a crossroads in our partnership with her, or so it seems. As long as we stay in the lower masculine, patriarchal, egoic ways of viewing the world, kind of earth is a solid planet with no sentient awareness, or the earth is a big rock, or everything and everyone is separate, the more this myth will continue to evade us. Have you ever wondered why in the three Abrahamic religions there is such scant mention of the divine feminine? And why did the Roman Empire burn, kill, and torture all the Gnostics? What was so threatening to the Roman priesthood that they would have to burn villages to the ground, killing women and children? All this violence to innocent people in the name of the Prince of Peace. Something seems a bit off here, doesn't it? Here is a myth so dangerous and so potent the Roman Empire would kill countless people to keep you from finding out about it. They burned great libraries to the ground, such as the one in Alexandria, and slaughtered anyone who carried this myth in their hearts, hoping to never see this myth carry forth its truth. They failed. The myth, like an indestructible treasure, has survived. It went into hiding, waiting for the circumstances, and you, to ripen. You cannot kill a myth and its vital contents. The soul continues forth, finding its wisdom in stories that are not bound by time. The central reason for all the horrific violence against ordinary people, the Gnostics had intimate knowledge of and access to a living, breathing goddess. In fact, they are still in communication with her today. The Gnostics, by the way, also had a deep reverence for the divine masculine, in particular, the masculine counterpart to Sophia, none other than Christ. In the Gnostic viewpoint, Christ plays a crucial role as the male counterpart to Sophia, a divine revealer who came to instruct and help humanity figure all this out. He came to ensure we would awaken from the fog of forgetfulness. It seems that the goddess right now is asking for our divine assistance, for our hand and our hearts. For Gnostics, this was the crux of the matter, for there would be no half-measures for the Gnostic and there would be no gnosis or spiritual wisdom without this. You see this in the wisdom of the Native Americans and indigenous tribes all over the world. It is our wisdom and our birthright. We are divine partners of a fallen goddess. That is why the world is so full of suffering and struggle and tears. It is not because we're evil or sinful. We have, in essence, forgotten our heritage. Or rather, there was an attempt to destroy all evidence of our heritage and partnership. Just by the fact that we're here embodied is evidence of our trauma and our fall. For all the growth and fleeting joys that come with life on planet Earth, we are as a whole a deeply wounded and troubled tribe. Like the goddess herself, we have been confused, bewildered, and traumatized by this fall. And there is a part of the soul that knows this intimately, isn't there? If you look around, you can see the devastating effect of this on all of us. Oh, sure, you can parade around some sort of fleeting success you've had, your big house or vacations or high-status job, blah, blah, blah. However, if you look around your city or town or your family or friends or within yourself, it is unmistakable. The fall has been heartbreaking for all of us. What do I mean by this? Look at the devastating suffering all over the world, the wars and violence, the homelessness, both physical and spiritual. Look at the sense of separation and isolation. 
addiction, and confusion, the lack of clarity as to our true nature or self, the amnesia, good Lord. Furthermore, we seem unsure of how to get back our divinity. To confuse matters, the three Abrahamic religions introduced what Gnostics refer to as the Redeemer complex. A Messiah will come and save us all from our fall. There is nothing we need to do but sit, wait, and have faith. According to the three Abrahamic religions, we have no innate divinity and there's not much we can do to summon or cultivate it. The Gnostics would chuckle at such beliefs. And Christ himself said that the light of the divine is within you. I, for one, believe him. Here's a couple more quotes. Another one from Jacques Le Carriere says, quote, It is truly a miracle that our species has survived the patriarchal campaign to eliminate the goddess and her mysteries. Without the indigenous peoples all around the world preserving the native wisdom in their lives, we would never have seen it today. At any given moment, there are vastly more good and decent people in the world than evildoers. Yet those who intend evil and practice deceit gain a disproportionate advantage because they rely on the passive consent of the believers, unquote. We're seeing that a lot today. And another one from the Nag Hammadi scriptures from a section called the Exegesis of the Soul, quote, the female soul descends into the underworld, into a body where she is trapped in an evil world a darkness where entities try to degrade and strip her of her divinity. This is a universal condition. We are all abused on a soul level. Blaming is of little use. We have all sold our souls. We have to win ourselves back, my love." Unquote. One thing the Gnostics emphasize is that we live in a hostile spiritual environment. We have great difficulty even figuring out who we are, what this is all about. For Gnostics, there is spiritual wickedness in high places, and I think we know what they're referring to here. From this viewpoint, we've all been imprisoned. There's a section from Liam Thomas Christopher's book that illustrates this. I like it. I've read it once before, but I'm going to do it again. Um, it says, quote, The watchers became jealous. They could sense that humankind's mercurial intelligence provided the potential for the awakening of the divine sparks within matter. The imprisoned light had been there and active all this time. The very resistance of the enemy was bringing the divine plan to fruition. In each human, there emerged the potential to have contact with a higher self or holy guardian angels. The enemy angels now took a more concentrated interest in humans, forming a plan to thwart the all mind from realizing itself. The cosmic battle between light and darkness descended from the macrocosm to the microcosm, as above, so below, unquote. I know that passage sounds kind of biblical, but I just like it. I think it illustrates it really well. By entering this myth with your consciousness, what might you learn? How might it transform you? Gnostic myth can be confronting for Christians, but it doesn't have to be that way. Gnostics were actually the earliest Christians and revere Christ as the rightful divine partner of Sophia. Christ himself spent many years with the Essenes, who were Gnostics, teaching and learning as the Nag Hammadi scriptures and Dead Sea Scrolls so clearly show. Mary Magdalene is also figuring prominently in Gnostic thought as she was considered to be a physical embodiment of the goddess. The Hebrew and Roman priesthood would have you believe that Mary Magdalene was a fallen woman, a prostitute. It is true that she had fallen, but she was no ordinary woman. As a Gnostic or even a curious seeker of truth, you can trust the divine to not give you more than you can handle. Sometimes we hold religious or spiritual beliefs that serve us well for a period of time, but the divine spark that lives and grows in our species will not be pigeonholed. How do we deeply honor the goddess, as well as Christ and the Father God, the divinity in ourselves without tripping all over ourselves? How do we make room for it all? How do we build rock-solid faith in our own emergence, in our own awakening? 
We are on the verge of something historical in the world and in ourselves. Myths such as the fallen goddess or the grail are here for us, pointing us in a direction we can trust, restoring our kingdom, our world, and ourselves. We have come this far together. Walk with me just a bit further, my friend. I promise you that this transformation includes you, for you are within earshot of the faint trail near the clearing. To dig deeper into this myth, there are a slew of resources at your disposal. I hate to endorse YouTube, but there is a lot of Gnostic myth and thought there. Any search from any source will lead you to all sorts of interesting threads. John Lamb Lash is, in my humble opinion, the great bard of the fallen goddess myth. He is exquisite in his embodiment of Sophia's wisdom. He actually pronounces her name Sophia because he says Sophia is too ordinary of a name for such a powerful deity. His book, Not in His Image, is a top-shelf book in my library. Two other books I love, Anne Baring's The Dream of the Cosmos and Trisha McKinnon's Return of the Divine Sophia. Both are exceptional and will help build your understanding of this myth, no matter where you're at with it today. I promise that if you work with any of these books, you will come to a deeper understanding of yourself and our place in the cosmos. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Men, good luck in all your endeavors and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac, and you're listening to Basecamp for Men. Thank you.